With AMC Plus, the plus doesn't just mean more, it means better. Available through the platforms you're already on, AMC Plus is a premium streaming bundle with the best of AMC, plus the complete collections of Shudder, Sundance Now, and IFC Films Unlimited. Get the latest from The Walking Dead with early access and exclusives. Binge acclaimed series like Mad Men, ad-free, and with new content dropping each week, like Gangs of London, a powerful drama about London's criminal underworld, there's always something fresh to check out. Sign up at amcplus.com, amcplus.com, AMC Plus, only the good stuff. Hello and welcome to the Football Grad Podcast. I'm your host, Manuel Veth. And as always, I'm joined by Tim, who's very busy at the moment. Tim, how is it going? Life is still great, but I'm slightly tired because the preparation for Rocket from Russia Festival, which I've been working on for the past few months, is taking the best of me and it's happening this weekend and I can't wait for it to actually happen and then so I can relax. <laughs> and sleep, I gotta, right? It's been, yeah, yeah, yeah. been really busy. And your promotions team has been all over the world. I saw there was a, a poster in Novosibirsk that was put up. Yeah, in my hometown. Yeah, people promoting my festival in my hometown. Life is so great. Thank you, people. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, that's what happens when you're on the Football Grad podcast. You're known around <laughs> the world. <laughs> exactly. And, exactly. <laughs> speaking around the world, someone was joining us from all the way for almost on the other side on this planet. Andrew, Andrew, how's Siberia? How's it going over there? Oh, it's not bad, thanks. Not bad, guys. Um, I like, Tim, how you, you had to pause and think of what the actual word was and um, relax. I forgot what it was. <laughs> well, yeah. No, I'm, I'm doing well, thanks, Manny. Uh, looking forward to this as always. And, um, yeah, it's just it's just really good to be back into domestic action. You know, the Super Cup and then the the first round of games, and then we've only got a couple more days till the next round of games. This is, this is the best part um, of, of the summer for me. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's true. And I mean, we're a bit fortunate because we get the, we get domestic action way before anyone else's really, because, you know, the, the Russian football Premier League starts so early in the year. I mean, it's, it's just mid July and we had already a full match day in and we have uh, the first trophy awarded and, uh, Tim, I, <laughs> <laughs> I wonder how that game ended. It was a bit of a nail biter, though, a little closer than we all anticipated, wasn't it, Tim? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a great game. Actually, I was surprised by the level of the game. It was a great game for the for the first game of the season. Um, amazing, like just really good game. I really enjoyed it. Lokomotiv was good. Spartak was obviously great. Um, I was very impressed by Luis Adriano. He's just like gaining points. Uh, as one of my favorite Spartak players, as we like, you know, just just by playing amazing football and one more trophy. Like I said, the last time we were in pod, uh, Spartak, we for a long time we didn't have trophies, so that was important for the club. And I think I think this is great. Yeah, it is great, but it was a lot of work, wasn't it, Andrew? I mean, when you 
when you consider the game 90 minutes no goal and then uh, lots of action kind of like that a ketchup bottle action in an extra time um tell us what did you make of this game well i mean it was i I'm just like tim said i was taken aback by the sheer pace of the game i mean it was just a it was a frantic pace but you know good quality as well um i was pleasantly surprised by by locomotive how they how they fitted together with their slightly odd well i say slightly odd lineup an unusual personnel in different positions um jefferson farfan for me stood out at wingback um so you know that was interesting to see and um yeah they made they certainly made your boys work um tim um yeah. going into that game but um I mean, they were. It kind of had a bit of everything, really. There was a bit of a bit of drama, uh, and you mentioned Luis Adriano. And as a non-Spartak fan, in this game, his when he's on the ball, he really does have some special ability, and he's got confidence in his finishing. I like I like that in a striker who, you know, is a bit selfish. But there were there was one moment where he he tangled with I forget exactly who it was now actually, but he. He sort of play acted a bit too much for my liking. Um, yeah, against Tarasov, yeah. Tarasov, that's the one. And you see, there, there, you've got a jewel of you know, Tarasov is hardly the most popular player outside <laughs> locomotive circles. You know, his um, uh, Don Dva girlfriend, yeah. wife, whoever it is. You know, they, they're a bit of a, a cheap, tacky couple in public circles, really. And he's not the brightest spark, um, really, Tarasov. But I do think he's a good player. Um, But anyhow, look, that's that's the negative. I'll, I'll, I'll get that one out of the way and let's stick to the positives now. Luis Adriano growing into the team, this is going to be a really, really dangerous, effectively an added signing, really, compared to his his lack of impact last season when he was struggling with injury. So I would say this is uh, is a major plus for for your boys, Tim, coming into this season. I'd say now you, you could effectively look at it as an extra option up front. So, yeah, pretty... Um, Pretty positive for Sparta. Yeah, Tim, but this, this was a difficult game. I mean, that was 120 minutes of, of, you know, pacey action. And, you know, this, given that the way this match day was set up, it wasn't the most ideal way that you wanted to go this far, right? Because, you know, you basically have that game on Friday and then you go straight into action, um, on, you know, midweek. Um, yeah, Tuesday. So, so yeah, basically Tuesday. So you had Friday, uh, July 14th, they had their, had their game, um, the Super Cup game. And then on Tuesday. And then 11 a.m., 11 a.m. was training after Super Cup. Yeah. No celebration, 11 a.m. Yeah. training. That's, that's really difficult. What do you make of that scheduling? It's a little bit awkward, isn't it? Well, it is, but unfortunately, that's the that's the reality of Russian football that they need to uh, play as many games as possible before uh, the winter break. Because, like, uh, when the uh, when the calendar was announced, the big problem was that um, the Spartak CSKA derby is scheduled, I believe, December 10th or something like that. So, like, it, it's like it's supposed to be based on cal on calendar the last game this year. So, like, you know, like it's 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 the game which sells Russian football league. This is the best game of the year. And they will be playing it in December 10th. When so, uh, I don't know what will happen to the derby, but it just shows that they need to cram as many games as possible. And of course, it was not ideal. And uh, we will talk uh, about the Moscow derby, Spartak Dynamo. And in my opinion, that uh, 120 minutes and that type of scheduling really affected the result of the derby game, which happened after that uh, against Dynamo. 
Yeah, we talk about scheduling a lot in Russian football, and you, you're oh, quite yeah. you're quite right because it is it is that really awkward thing that you know the the season ends the the first half of the season ends in uh, early December, which is actually really late this year. Yeah. Um, December tenth is the last game, and that means you know that means that. It's going to be really cold. You mentioned December 10th is also going to be the game between Spartak and CSKA. Um, and I, my guess is that they know that this game will be sold out no matter what, even if it's minus 20 degrees in Moscow. So that, that's probably a good reason to put it there. Uh, maybe also to cool down the uh, the heat that will be part of this game. But <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that in due course. But I mean, when you when you click through the schedule, it's a lot of games and even in August, you know, there's all, lots of double fixtures, um, lots of games to be played. And we have to remember a bunch of the teams, and we'll talk to that towards the end of the pod, have to play in the, um, in Europa League qualifiers as early as next week. Then, uh, Champions League qualifiers, third round are starting up very soon too. Um, also next week. So, you know, all of this is a, is a very, very compact, Schedule while the rest of Europe, I mean, in Bundesliga teams, for example, right now, they're in, they're in Asia, um, preseason. A lot of the English teams are in, in the United States right now doing their preseason there. So, you know, while, while they are all doing this, these, these teams are playing basically, um, already full on games. And, you know, Andrew, this, it's, it's an interesting, it's interesting because it basically means, that these early games that we're seeing and the Super Cup is one of them, they're almost like preseason games in itself, aren't they? It certainly affects the quality, man, and you're right. Um, and it's yet another uh, it's yet another reason why, uh, and I've, I've consistently said this for years, well, say years since the change happened, that the calendar is just utterly ridiculous. It's so stupid to try and set the Russian calendar alongside European ones. In other words, run from an autumn till spring season. It's, it's just, it's just madness. Use the winter break when you're enforced off the pitches. Use that for warm weather training. Use that for preseason. Use it for holidays to let the players relax and play through the summer. Um, I think the, the benefit we've seen for, uh, the top teams performing in Europe has been negligible, if, if any at all. And that was primarily the reason they gave for switching to European schedule. Um, and I just, I just find it maddening. I mean, I was, I was in Yekaterinburg last weekend for Oral against Rostov and I was speaking to the media manager there, um, Nikita, and he was saying the 10th of December fixtures, Oral playing at home to Arsenal Tula. Now you mentioned the Moscow Derby. Now that's a big game and it matters that the big games are attractive spectacles on TV and in the stands. I think it makes a big difference. Um, now in Moscow, the temperature in, in December is going to be cold. In, in Yekaterinburg, it's going to be perishing. And they, he's actually said they've already applied to play in the indoor training center next to the SKB Bank Arena. It's got about three, 4,000 people um, uh, capacity. And that's basically the only option they're going to have. Um, and they've brought this on themselves by scheduling. It's just basic planning. If it means one or two extra midweek games between now and October, I'd say, look, you're just going to have to face it. The World Cup year, it's already going to be a slightly more um, compacted schedule. Um, 
I mean, man, I'm, I'm tired of complaining at the Russian Football Union and the Premier League and their scheduling issues. Um, but they just don't seem to learn, do they? Well, <laughs> you know, it is because they're playing a summer schedule, uh, you know, summer to, or spring, uh, sorry, summer to, to spring schedule, um, which is more or less what the European leagues do, uh, spring, uh, fall, fall to spring. And, uh, back in the Soviet Union, of course, it was, uh, early spring to, um, late fall schedule, you know, in the calendar year schedule. And, um, the Russian Football Union believed that they would be better off playing, um, alongside the, the same schedule alongside the Europeans, the rest of the, 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 the European, major European leagues. And that's why they switched it. And, um, there is, there is pros and cons for it. I mean, in, in general, I often say nothing really has changed too much because you're still going to have that three month break either way. You're going to have a three month break between basically, you know, the, the end of the, the, either you're going to have this three month break halfway through the season or you're going to have it at the end of the season. Either way, you're going to struggle on the first rounds of the, the Europa League and Champions League because, you know, it doesn't matter what schedule you're going to play. You're going to have that break. And I mean, we'll be probably talking plenty about that again when around Christmas time, uh, six months from now, how all these teams and, uh, what that's one of the topics for today will be doing most of their transfer business around Christmas because that's when they have the longest time to prepare their teams, right? And, um, that makes it, that makes it difficult in a way because essentially, Teams are only doing their major business halfway through the season. And yeah, uh, it's, uh, it's an awkward, awkward situation. And, you know, as it stands right now, the scheduling is, is awkward as well because, you know, we have so many games crammed into it. And let's, let's look at Spartak, for example, Tim. You played the Super Cup on Friday, as we said, and then you played against Lokomotiv, so a Moscow derby. And then you had your second Moscow derby on Tuesday at Arena Chemki against Dinamo Moscow and that's a game that definitely did not go your way. Yeah, absolutely. And I think and the, the main reason because I just finished watching that game is that uh the team was physically exhausted in the second half because of 120 minutes against Lokomotiv and it was a hard game like you said and um, and uh, Andrew said it was a very good pacey game against uh, Lokomotiv. So Spartak was wonderful in the first half. I think we were great. It was a uh, 2 nothing after 45 minutes, fantastic performance, great. And then you can just feel how that team just died down um, towards the, uh, the the end of the game. And all the players said the same in the interviews. They said, listen, we're, we're, we're tired. And uh, Carrera said the same, that he, Spartak, was better in the first half. Um, I think, you know, I think it's, uh, looking just the result, of course, it's 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 disappointing to miss out on a game when you were leading to nothing and completely controlling the game after 45 minutes. But at, this, at the same time, you know, you don't expect team to be in the top physical condition on uh, July 18th. It's the second game of the season. Like, you know, if they would be in, at the top of their physical conditions in October, they will be just like dying on the field. So, mm, of course, it's disappointing to lose out on the game, but I don't see it, it as a big problem. It's disappointing, but... You know, they just need to keep working, uh, keep working hard. And I remember that last year during the season, the players were saying that even in the season, 
uh, the team was working a lot on their physical condition. So I'm pretty sure that's what will be happening. And I think the Spartak will be in their best physical condition uh, come Champions League. Well, that's that's a that's a tricky one, and that brings us back to what we just said, right? They have to treat these early games um, the As same preseason. preseason, and that's hard. Yeah. And I mean. Um, what happened in the, the derby against Dinamo Moscow is, is a good example for that because you mentioned Quincy Promise 29th minute, Luis Adriano 32nd minute. That last season, that would have sealed the deal for them, right? Against, especially against the Dinamo Moscow side. And this is something that people have to remember. Dinamo Moscow are newly promoted. They're not the Dinamo Moscow of old. They're a team that's trying to get their footing back in the RFPL. And, um, so that would have been a game that they would have killed off last year at, at the later stage of the season. But because it's so early, it's, and you know, they already had that game in their legs from okay. Friday. And then you said, yes, 10 a.m. training on Saturday, right? For them. Yeah. And that's, whew, that's hard. That's, that's very tough, um, very constricted scheduling. And, you know, when you're the champion, uh, you have a lot of pressure on you. So that makes it really difficult to go into this game, right? Absolutely, yeah. So, like, the trophy really, you know, like, really paid the price for the trophy. But, uh, you yeah, know, I'm, I'm happy with it. Um, great. Again, uh, going back to a Super Cup game, Luis Adriano, that uh, challenge on Tarasov was dirty. I He could have even gotten the Retic card. But I really love his um, determination. I don't know what happened to his hand. It looked, it looked to me broken, but he was still fighting. And I really just wanted to highlight his performance in the Super Cup because Luis Adriano really, really becoming um, the forward we all knew him back in Shakhtar days. And uh, I'm extremely happy with his performance. And just keep working, my friend. Mm-hmm. Andrew, you're a bit more of a neutral. How did you see the Moscow derby? Well... I mean, the first half, it went, it basically panned out mostly how I expected. It's just, I, I was, I predicted it was going to be a 2-1 win for Spartak. Um, and, you know, the, the quality, and I, I back at what Tim says about Luis Adriano, um, on the pitch at least, um, because his, I didn't really consider him as a first choice option before this season because last season it was a stop start. But, you know, beginning to his Spartak career, and he looks, like Tim said, really hungry. He looks focused. Um, and with him, Zeluis and Quincy Promise in the attacking three or four, they're just going to be absolutely lethal. And they were first half. Um, and, you know, I go back to the, the Super Cup in reference to this. The pace of the Super Cup is what surprised me for two reasons. One, because it's a Super Cup, but secondly, because they knew they had a Moscow derby coming up. I was a bit surprised that that Carrera either set them up to do that or allowed them to continue playing at such a pace um, because of that. But, you know, it, Dynamo, I think they played Spartak at the right time. I, I think they're going to be mid-table by the end of the season at best. I think the result slightly flatters them because I don't believe they outplayed Spartak. I think they just simply had the advantage of not having played a few days earlier in a very high-tempo two-hour game. Um, I mean, I, I, would, I would like to pick out for, for Dynamo, though, um, Kirill Panchenko. Yeah. Um, now, this is this is a guy who joined CSK Moscow and then was barely given a run out, and I thought he was treated very poorly by CSK. Um, you know, send him out on loan last season, 
absolutely obliterates the second tier Fenel. I mean, he he basically strolled around with a sort of cocky, arrogant swagger, and I mean that in a positive way. I genuinely mean that. I thought, here's a guy who's really, really driven, top of his game, and he, I think, will be a very, very dangerous player in the Premier League this season. Um, you know, we look at the prices flying around nowadays. You know, you're seeing seventy-five million pound players moving. Panchenko moved for one point five. And he is not, <laughs> he's not 50 times worse than Romelu Lukaku, I can promise you that much. So, <laughs> um, yeah, it was, a, it, was a, it was a fascinating derby and what a start to the season we've had already for Moscow teams. Yeah, and I just wanted to also to follow up on the Moscow derby. I was very, um, it, it was a very interesting the Spartak setup from the tactical point of view because they practically played 4-2-4. With um, Glushakov and Fernando as two holding midfielders, and then Lorenzo Melgarejo on the left side, and um, and then the promise Adriano Zaluish. And I was very impressed with Melgarejo. He really uh, played well in uh, Super Cup, and then Carrera gave him a chance. And this is what Carrera is all about. Um, you prove on the pitch, on the training pitch, that you want to play, that you're one of the best, and you are always be given a chance. And I really was impressed with uh, Melgarejo because he had a tough start uh, to his Spartak's career, and finally it looks like he had the precision without the uh, injuries, and he's fitting in the team, so I'm hoping he will he will contribute uh, to the team this season. So, tactical setup, 4-2-4, that was great. Very attacking. Yeah, and a bit of a surprise. I mean, you mentioned um, Melgarejo. He's a player that we rated quite highly on the Football Ground Network. Like maybe uh, that, when was the move? A year and a half ago, right? Uh-huh. Um, we all had high expectations. We have Ralph Hunter in Paraguay who did a piece for us on him um, all the way back, you know, when the, the whole transfer shuffle happened between because it was Lokomotiv, uh, Spartak and oh, yeah. that were involved in this and uh, we all thought he, he would he would come in and fly and uh, he was very good for Kuba and Krasnodar at the time and um, really hasn't hasn't played up to his potential so that there's a player that you know um, we all hope and expect would do would have a bigger impact and uh, maybe maybe this is his year maybe it's actually going to happen but you know um Tim, that's, that's maybe just one last thought on him, but you know, this could be his season. Uh, I, it, I think, I hope so. And just to follow up on what you said, you mentioned the transfers from Kuban to Spartak with the potential of going Lokomotiv. And then the, and that was, he didn't have really a preseason because he wasn't training with Kuban back, back then. Mm-hmm. And then he wasn't training with Spartak because he wasn't signed. So he had a very, very uh, strange preseason. And then the next preseason, which he had, like the big one, the winter one, um, he had an injury. So he, two main preseasons when he was, he had a chance to fight for the squad. He, he was out. So the squad was already, already, already formed. And then he only had the, those opportunities, rare opportunities to come in and play 15 minutes at the end of the game. I think this is the first proper, um, preseason where he was not injured, that he was training full capacity. So like, like you said, I really hope this will be his year and he'll finally, you know, show what he's capable of for Spartak. Yeah, he was stuck in a hotel room for several weeks while uh, his yeah. agent was negotiating <laughs> with with locomotive Spartak, and yeah, it was a huge transfer mess. Um, but being st- <laughs> talking about being stuck in travel <laughs> and uh, hotel rooms, Senit, they got their homework done, and uh, they had not the toughest opponent, 
but the toughest away trip. And we talked about this already last week. They had to fly all the way from St. Petersburg to Khabarovsk. So um, just to put this in perspective, it's 111 hours in the car, I believe, to drive. It's uh, seven time zones. It's from the Baltic Sea all the way to the border to China. It's a long way. And, um, you know, playing a team that has never before played in the top division, that was not an easy task. And it did not look easy. This is a game that I closely followed on the weekend. And I thought that uh, Senate, um, although they got the job done, you know, they won the game 2-0. They, um, you know, they had to work for it, didn't they, Andrew? Oh, they sure did. Um, I, I agree with you that they did the homework, though. They, they didn't look, um, they didn't look overworked. They looked well set up. Uh, Leandro Paredes made a solid debut for them. But yeah, you're right. Um, uh, Skar Khabarovsk hit the, hit the bar twice. I mean, if, if you haven't seen it already, anybody listening to this, you must, must just YouTube. Juan yeah. Lescano Rabona. Wow. And the guy is this, I mean, I've seen this guy. This is the, for me, this is personally really hilarious because I've seen him play for Yenisei Krasnoyarsk um, in the second tier in Chumen. And I always thought, basically, he was a waste of space. He really didn't impress me at all. And here he is up against Zanit St. Petersburg. First game in the top flight. Massive Massive game and a very impressive crowd as well. Don't forget, mm. um, you know the Lenin Stadium holds I think thirty thousand, and it was about twenty two, twenty three thousand in there. And there, there's this guy Lascano. His ball comes over the top, cuts inside a defender, whips out a Rabona, and it drifts over beautifully. But just unfortunately for him, not quite under the crossbar. Um, and they hit the crossbar with a header in the first half as well. So yeah, they had to work for it. They had to hold their nerve, but they did. And that is, it's like I said before, it was the best time to play um, Scar Habados first game. Get it out of the way before you're into the tired period of the season when the distance and the weather and the geography really plays even stronger a factor. Um, so, yeah, absolutely full marks to, to Mancini, how he set outside. Gave Sebastian Driussi a few minutes as well, you know, so it takes the pressure off him. Um, yeah, very well done to Nita. Yeah, Tim, how did you see this? Um, I, uh, for me, uh, the key was that just Zenit got, got the job done, got the three points, regardless of what it is, because I'm pretty sure, like, I agree completely with Angry that it will be a very tough place to go travel-wise, and this team looked pretty organized. They gave uh, Zenit a bit of a game, and, um, but like I said, what counts is three points. Zenit has got the job done. Uh, there was a, speaking of what you said about the travel, the Zenit was kind enough, and actually I think that was great. They let in a match TV uh, reporter uh, into them, into, with them on the plane, and pretty much the guy filled everything, uh, the whole travel, and it was very interesting because they arrived to Khabarovsk, local time was 4 a.m., and um, the St. Petersburg time, I think it was 8 p.m. So it was, uh, the city was sleeping, but the players were like, you know, they were still active. It was very like a uh, interesting uh, setup. And it really, uh, you know, this it shows like the whole travel, how everything works, how tough it was, how boring it was in the, in the, in the plane. So I, they did a really good job showing that ridiculous uh, travel distances. But um, just to, to uh, an interesting uh, fact that, um, 
Kuzaev, the new player, he scored the goal. That's his first goal in the uh, in the Russian Premier League in his career. He played for Terek for four years, but he never scored. And first game for Zenit, came on as a sub, uh, scored right away. And it was funny. He says he said Mancini said, uh, "Oh, he he was asked what Mancini said, and he said that his task was just to go and score a goal." And he said, ah, "I can I completed the job. Just came on field and scored the goal. Easy." So. Good for the young player and uh, good for Zenita. Three points, like Andrew says, get this ridiculous trip out of the way and uh, just keep preparing for the next games. Yeah, so just to reiterate this, we have an article actually up on footballgrad.com, including with the map that shows the distance from St. Petersburg to Khabarovsk. It's a nine hour and 50 minute flight. So that's basically the same from Munich to Vancouver. <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine Bayern going to an away game uh, to Vancouver? I mean, yeah. if you, <laughs> oh, I'll definitely go to see that game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we would all go see it. But um, you know, could you, if I mean, of course, if FIFA gets their way, there will be a World League one day, and we'll see this all the time. But it is a little ridiculous. It's a hundred and eleven hour drive. So it's 8,759 kilometers. There's a detour that will take you six days and 16 hours longer. So if you want to, if you're into that, um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I complain. I don't complain, but I think it's quite a long drive for me to Yekaterinburg, um, every home game. And I drive four hours, which to be fair, if I drove four hours in England, I'd go from London probably to the border of Scotland, you know, so most virtually the length of my entire country. That, oh, just a different world, isn't it? Absolutely mad. It is a different <laughs> world. I mean, even even here in North America, where teams have to travel quite long distances for for away games. I mean, the big uh, NHL teams there, or the NBA teams, and the NFL teams, they of course fly charter. And MLS is a little bit different. They have to um, because of the regulations of the league, they're only allowed to fly charter. I think three or four times a season. So the rest of the time, they fly, you know, basically economy class. Um, Oh, I yeah, WestJet or United or Air Canada or whatever. So it's not great, but you know, Vancouver's longest away trip in one flight is to Toronto, which is five hour flight. So that's not great, but it's uh, one away game a season. Uh, so it's not horrible and it's definitely not 10 hours. But yeah, um, <laughs> you know, I want to move from Ska Khabarovsk to what is more or less their, their sister team. Uh, CSKA, you know, both teams are deeply rooted in the, the Red Army tradition. Um, even had her cooperation agreement last season when it looked like SCA would stay long term in the FNL. And, uh, that of course didn't happen. A bit of su surprise promotion for them. So, you know, they officially had to sort of cut their links. Uh, although I'm pretty sure given their, their Red Army past, it's still ongoing. Um, CSKA, very interesting this season, very inactive on the transfer market. They, of course, they got their job done against Anchi Mahachkala on match day one. Very interesting setup by Viktor Goncharenko, who played a 3-5-2 with Zagoev and Vitinho up front. Um, that's something that definitely surprised me and it worked for them, um, didn't it, Tim? I mean, that's, that's definitely a very good result, especially uh, given that the game was in Mahachkala. Again, not an easy place to go, like uh, way easier than Habarovsk, but still, uh, you know, uh, Anji going there is not always a pleasant experience. And, um, yeah, interesting lineup. Um, in general, if we talk to Ska, the team is going 
probably will be going through a bit of a rebuild this season because uh, both uh, Berezutsky brothers announced that 99% this is their last season. Uh, Sergei Ignashevich turned 38 last week. So, you know, they would, a plus, plus they added quite a few young players, uh, Kuchayev, Jamalidinov, Chalov is becoming more of a, a starting lineup player. So they have this uh, young, um, up-and-coming uh, players. And Gancherenko is known for being, uh, f- for working well with, uh, with young players. So this uh, season will be interesting for CSKA. Like you said, they were uh, qu- completely quiet on the transfer market because, as ever, they don't have money. Um like, you know, they don't have money for significant transfers. But at the same time, there is quite a few young, exciting players are coming up in their squad. And, um, it, it, I think it will be interesting to, to, to watch them, to watch them play. And, um, one, one hope from the point of national team for me is that Alan Zagoyev will be fit come, uh, May 2018 when he would have to play at the World Cup. That's my, that will be my focus for the CSKA the whole year. I just want Zagoyev to play the World Cup. Andrew, uh, we've followed Alan Sigoev quite a bit mm-hmm. over, over the years. And he is, in my opinion, he is the player that is the most talented and gifted player that Russia has today. And, uh, I, I always thought, you know, given what he has, the tools that he has, it's a bit of a shame. And this is not a dig at the Russian football Premier League. I just think that he should be one of those players who pl- should be playing abroad. Mm-hmm. Um, now he seems to be a little bit reinvented under Viktor Goncharenko, um, playing behind, well, sort of a false nine behind Vitinho. We've seen him play as a hold up player, um, under um, Slutsky and then Goncharenko put him in midfield as well when he was fit, uh, which wasn't often. <laughs> this is, this seems to be almost a bit of, um, a transition for him right now, isn't it? Yeah, and a very, very important one. Uh, I completely echo what Tim said about hoping that Zagorov is fit and, and in form for next summer. Um, and I'd go along with what you say, uh, Manu, about him being the most talented, uh, certainly in the attacking um, in the attacking sphere. I mean, you know, he and Golovin could potentially be a part of the, the Russian national team for a good few years yet. And I've long, long felt that Zagorov is best used further forward up the pitch. When he was playing as a holding midfielder, he's got the technical ability to do it. But you always felt like he was being contained, like he wasn't expressing himself enough. He, you know, he's, he's, got, he's got the passing, he's got the vision that other players don't have. And that's where they need him, further up the pitch. Um, now that Bibras Nakro is recovered from that injury, quite a big injury he had a couple of seasons ago, um, he, for me, can fill that role. So in the first choice team, you've got Pontus Vernbloom who can anchor the midfield, Nako alongside him who can still, you know, still play with precision, but he doesn't need to bomb up and down the pitch. He can play more of a Michael Carrick role, I see it as. So that should, in theory, release Zagorev into his full potential up front. I think that's where he's going to be best used. So, um, I mean, with Tiska, the rebuild is inevitable. It has to happen. The first, the first team, if it stays fit, the first eleven is as good as um, almost any team in the league. Their squad, though, is is lacking significantly in experience. So, I think if they're going to be bold enough to back Goncharenko to have a good season or even two seasons, bringing through the Kuchayevs, the Jamaletdinovs of this world, Gorgyshenko, bring these bring these guys through. Um, 
without expectation or demand of winning the title, then in three, four, five years' time, we might start seeing the benefits of that. Um, so this season, I think Cisco, they're still looking positive for them, but I just don't think they're going to be capable of a title challenge. But more importantly, if they look after the players they do have, the future will look very bright for them. Yeah, Tim, Andrew mentions this. So the, when you look at the players that they did bring in, they didn't buy anyone this year. There's not a single transfer on the, the intake. Um, the players that were brought in, when you look at the transfer market, of course, is the, is the great source for that. It is Nikita Chernov. It is Alexander Makarov. It's Timo Shamaletinov. Astemir Gotrushenko. Um, those are all guys from their own academy. Yeah. And, um, you know, you know, they lost players. Um, first and more foremost, um, of course, Roman Eremenko, who is still banned and is going to be banned for quite some time. Soran Tosic has left the club, who has always been uh, a very potent player. Do you think they've done enough? No, I, I, I don't think, like, you know, it's, it's got, this is the, like how Andrew said, the, the, the starting lineup is great, but then what's on the bench is always, they always have 12 players uh, to play the season and uh, that always bites them, like always. Um, it, um, I don't, I don't know what, like, it's hard to see because I don't really know too much about, like, Russian, that business and what's going on, uh, in Giener's. Um, you know, what's happening, the finances, the previous years, uh, the excuse, what we're building the stadium. That's why we don't have money to buy players. Okay. The stadium was built. What else? Then I heard Ginner had some problems with his business. I think it was somewhere in Crimea or something. Something didn't work out and he lost lots of money. So that was another excuse. But right now I'd really, you know, I, I still don't, don't get that approach when you have a strong 11 players, but then on the bench you have kids. And that makes sense, you know, like if, if, you know, Gancherenko is a great player, a good coach who works with the youth players. But at the same time, I still, I still, I have no idea how they still manage it and uh, always in the top three teams with, uh, with pretty much 11 starting players and then kids on the bench. Um, so, and also the, the other thing, like, you know, if, Gancherenko is known for playing his system 3-5-2, and that's what he, he's been using in his previous teams. 3-5-2 is the, the system he works. If uh, Ignashevich and both Berezunskis are gone, so pretty much to, still using this team, he needs to find two new central defenders. And one of them is Vasin, and the second one is looks like it's going to be Nikita Chernov, who returned from Yenisei uh, from the loan. But maybe they even would have at some point of season on maybe next season to, to change this formation because like they just physically don't have bodies to play three central defenders. So that just shows the deep, the depth of the squad at CSKA. Well, of course, one thing could be that they're waiting for that winter transfer window, but I mean, we'll want to get into that in a moment, but they have to play Champions League, uh, ideally, or at least, you know, um, Europa League if they don't get through the qualification stage. And I want to hold off on that for just a moment yeah. because they, we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. But uh, Andrew, you think they've become a little bit like the Arsenal of the, the of Russian football? Um, you know, as long as they qualify for for European football, it's fine. But um, you know, they don't want to spend getting there at the same time. 
Um, I don't think I would level that um, that label out. I can see where you, I can see where you've come from with that, in the sense that. I, but what I would say is, if they took that approach for the next three or four years, it would be the most sensible thing to do in the in the short term. Because, well, like like Tim says, um, the the change has got to happen one way or the other. They've got to bring in some centre backs, uh, and I, I mean plural. They've got to bring in at least two more, really, um, because Nikita Chornov. Don't forget, this is the guy who made his debut. He still hasn't played for CSK Moscow. He still hasn't played in the top flight. Um, and he realistically is the next defender once the Beratuskis and Ignashevich have gone. He really is the next most senior defender. So either they're going to bring in some centre-backs, um, which I don't see happening, or they're going to have to just trust their youth. And to do that and break even, Champions League is just, well, it's just the nature of football today. That is the be-all and end-all for, for business models, um, and especially within financial fair play. So I think... The fact that just that the realities of their situation and their finances mean that they have to take that sort of approach. Really, uh, winning the title would be a bonus, but um, it would just be an, it would be a miracle if they if they manage that. But I don't I don't think that's what they should aim for, and I don't think they should be embarrassed about that. Arsenal for me is a slightly different situation in that they it's just become endemic to them as an entire club for for two decades now. Um, you know, this, they they signed Alexandre Lacazette this summer, but I just they, they just don't convince me. Um, whereas Cisco, I don't think are far from that. They've got to rebuild, yes, and they have to put a lot of faith in their youngsters, realistically. Okay, but I believe their youngsters have the quality, and they've got the best manager to bring them through. So, uh, yeah, I can see how rival fans would label them the Arsenal of Russia, but I don't see it that way. I see it as a you know, it's what they have to do, but I don't think they're going to stick around too long just treading water. Well, and you have to remember, Andrew, and I think this is something that you point out quite well. Their youth team, so their youth academy last season, did quite well in the UEFA Youth League, didn't they? Well, absolutely, they did, didn't they? They got to the, was it the quarterfinals, semifinals? Um, and... You know that's that is um, that's serious pedigree because don't forget how seriously um, a lot of clubs invest heavily in youth. Um, I mean, I'm not talking just about the coaching, but attracting the best foreign youth players to their systems. Um, and and here is Cisco, um with all genuine. I mean, when I say genuine, I don't want to get into the whole race route here, but um, you know, Russian-born um, players in their youth system and. They, this is this is actually, if anything, the best time, I think, for Siska to have to go through rebuild because these guys are going to have to be thrown, are not thrown in in the, in the deep end, but they're going to have to be used more. Um, and I, I actually genuinely think in the medium term, Siska are going to be in one of the healthiest positions in the Premier League now. Yeah, in the medium term. Well, we'll see how they do this season and especially... How they will do already next week, you know, um, Champions League qualifiers. A lot of our listeners will be thinking, well, wait, what? Already Champions League qualifiers? Isn't this a bit early? Yeah, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> but we are. It's, uh, they are playing the third round of Champions League qualifiers is because the way the, the, the qualification stages, of course, is set up means that the, the lower ranked leagues, so the leagues outside of Germany, Spain, Italy, um, France and England, they already have to enter the, so that, that's not the champions, that's the teams that are in the qualification stage. 
they are already entering the qualification um, in the third round, which is the round before the playoffs. And CSKA Moscow have drawn Aika Athens. Now, Tim, what do you think? Is That's not an easy draw, but it's a doable draw, isn't it? Absolutely agree with you. It's not an easy, but it's doable draw, and this guy should go for the next round. Um, the Russian teams historically don't do super well with Greek teams. Um, I, I don't know why, but there's there's been uh, quite a few personal um, experience, eh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, um but looking, yeah, I, I think it's always for like there's like there's two ways. Remember, there's like a champions route. And then there is like a league route where all the, all the, you know, second, I don't know how to describe this, the, the league route, whatever. But then that, that round, the first round is always not that hard. But then going to the next, when you meet teams like Sevilla, Napoli, Liverpool, uh, Sporting, and uh, those teams uh, that, you know, seeded teams, this is, will be the actual challenge. So I don't see this guy. I don't think it will be easy for them, given all of what we discussed in the past five minutes, uh, the, the depth of their squad. It's doable, uh, but I think the, the real challenge is not the, this round, the next round. It's, this is, and for this guy, it's crucial to be in Champions League from financial point of view, because that, this is how they, you know, one of the key um, source of income for them for this. So, so this guy, it's, it's, it's unbelievably important to just to, to somehow to make it to the Champions League. Yeah, I would go along with that. And Andrew, maybe the one advantage that CSKA have is that they're already in league play, whereas uh, this is Athens' first competitive fixture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd say that is it is a benefit. The fact that CSKA were were, were not in the Super Cup and uh, they they've had their first, if you like, serious preseason game, as you call it. You know, the the first round. Of um, of league fixtures, I'd, I'd say it's it stands them in reasonably good stead. I'd be very very surprised if over two legs they weren't able to get get through. Um, I, I think the away leg, if they can come away level after the first leg in Athens, I'd say that's very very successful um, first leg because back back in Moscow they can. You know, they, they've got enough of the squad there and they'll have three home games in a row there, actually, just looking at the fixtures. After the away leg, they've got um, Scar Habadosk at home, so possibly we'll see one or two youngsters there, a bit of rotation perhaps, um, play AEK on the Wednesday and then the weekend after, they still play in Moscow there. So um, I'd say that is also an advantage for two league games either side of it. So, yeah, I think... I mean, you know, AEK Athens have got one or two players of note. Um, Dmitry Chigrinsky, um, I didn't realise actually, but I only just checked yesterday. Yeah. Um, plays for them. Uh, ex um, Shakhtar, of course, Barcelona for a season. <laughs> Hugo Almeida. I know, I know it's strange to think of it, really, isn't it? Um, Marco Levaya um, played in uh, Ruben Kazan. So they've got one or two players who are of note, but seriously. That is a, it is actually, like Tim says, a massive, massive game, uh, a massive tie. Get through this and then they are guaranteed at least European football. So I think that's, um, it's going to be a massive thing for them. Uh, again, I would say if they can get to the group stages of the Champions League, I'd say that is effectively job done because there's no way, obviously, Tesco are going to be targeting anywhere near the business end of the Champions League. They just don't have the squad or even the starting lineup. But they get to the group stage, get a bit of experience for some of the youngsters and get the money, most importantly, in the short term. And 
they can start to rebuild more effectively for next season. Do you think that if they reach, and of course you, and Tim is quite right, if they beat Aika, um, they still have that playoff game and then you you get to potentially get the... Although I think because of the, as long as they have played, I think they're going to be able to avoid the likes of Liverpool, but they could get someone like Hoffenheim. Oh, yeah, yeah. They could, right. they, they could avoid, they could get someone like Hoffenheim, um, which would probably not be great for them. Um, but getting to the group stage at this point, I would argue that they're almost holding out on getting there and then make their investments because you will be still mid-August, right? The transfer market is still open. Um, at that stage, a lot of clubs will be trying to get rid of players that they haven't gotten rid of. Um, because, yeah. you know, you know, there's all, a lot of the big leagues, the German teams have basically closed shop now. You know, they, they're done with their business. English teams are traditionally a little later, which means that there will be a lot of surplus material uh, in English squads come August. And, you know, you almost wonder if they are just holding out, gambling almost to get into the UEFA Champions League, see if they make it, um, because that would mean that they need a deeper squad. And it would mean that, you know, the, the, the requirements are a lot tougher for them. I would argue that the squad that they have right now will probably be enough to see them through the Europa League, but not the Champions League necessarily. So you almost wonder if they're just holding out and say like, look, um, if you make the Champions League great, then we'll take that money and we'll invest it. If not, then we'll, we have money, um, set aside for, for next season. I almost wonder if they're going for that. And when you look at their squad, they only have five foreigners in their squad right now. We now, we talked about how there are no foreign limitation rule is coming in next season with the eight foreigners in the squad, right? That still gives them three spots to essentially bring people in and uh, sign players that they need, you know, in order to fill some squad holes. So I'm almost wondering if they, if they're just waiting and holding out. I agree with you because uh, uh, everything that we said plus one more point, if they qualify for the actual Champions League group, it will be end of August, but it still will be easier to attract other players. So, like, listen, we play not Europa League, we play actual Champions League football. Come and play with us. So I think uh, that that, uh, that that's another factor. And I agree. That, and actually that a lot of clubs do that because it will be, you know, it, it makes sense. Like, do you have European football or you don't? Do you have Champions League, Europa League? You have nothing. So it's it's really a factor for, especially for foreign players who would come to live to Russia to a not an easy place, like in a culturally transition. But if you play Champions League football, of course, they, it will be easier for them to attract. And they have been known, uh, they've been good for their research and for their transfer um, activity. They, they, they tend to find those young players and they tend to develop them and then sell for a lot of money. So they do very well with that, that. So maybe, you know, like you said, they still have enough room in terms of foreigners. Maybe closer to the uh, Champions League, if they do qualify, they will get a couple of uh, foreign, um, talented young uh, players who they will fit in uh, the squad and then maybe sell down the road. I would definitely go along with that. I think that's what they have always done and they've always been mm -hmm. very good at. Um, I mean, Dumbia, who's of course not done very well since he's left CSKA. Is, but they did well on him. They did like well they on him and they made a lot of money on him. So, you know, good for them. And Ahmed Musa, of course, who they also sold for a lot of money. So, you know, they are very good at that and they've always been very good at identifying players like them and bring them in. So, you know, maybe this is, this is just them waiting and seeing and, uh, Ginner, you know, yes, he was a little unlucky with some business deals, but 
Um, he seems to seems to be very good at that uh, sort of thing. Now, um, Ziska, of course, are not the only sides in action. Uh, Krasnodar and Senate both play Europa League third round qualifiers next next week as well on Thursday. Now, the the problem is, and I want to start with Senate here. They don't actually know who they're going to play. So for Senate, it could be either Yenuda or Yehuda from Israel. Or Trenzin, Ais Trenzin from uh, Slovakia, I believe. And um, that's that's uh, kind of tough, you know. We're a week away from that and they don't even know who they're playing. And um, on top of that, you have that Thursday fixture and Senate just have done that, this 10-hour road trip. And now you have the potential of maybe, you know, well, so Slovakia wouldn't be the end of the world. That's not that far, but going down to Israel from, from St. Petersburg, that's quite a long trip. And the first tie between those two teams. So they're playing again on Thursday was 1-1. So, you know, by the time this pot comes out, they'll probably know who we're going to face, but it's, um, it's a difficult one, especially if Mne Yehuda goes through, right, Andrew? Well, it is, yeah. I mean, don't forget last season in Israel, the <laughs> quite yeah. blinding game that they played yeah. uh, against, was it Apple Beer Shaver? Was it? Or was it? I forget which team it was now, actually, when they came back from 3 0 down to win 4 3. Um, but the fact that they went 3 0 down away in Israel, it kind of shows that, you know, what, whatever the climate is exactly this time of year, I'm sure it's going to be slightly more challenging. It's going um, to be hot, Andrew. The, very hot. I was well, there in October last year. And, and I bet that was, that 30, was hot as well. 35 degrees every day. And, oh, God, in October. <laughs> in, oh, God, in October, yeah. So this is August, uh, July, end of yeah. July, what are we talking about? So well, this, I mean, you know, the, if you, if you look at it as a tie over two legs, I still wouldn't be worried. But what I would be worried about is how much energy it's going to sap out of the players. Um, and, but, but, but on the plus side, of course, then he do have an incredibly impressive squad. The, I would say the, probably overall the best squad, um, on paper anyway. Um, this, in defense, there's slightly, still slightly lacking a one more top defender for my liking, but, they, they've got enough there to rotate for, for a game like this. Um, it's a shame for me that the away leg is second, really, for them, because if it was the first leg, they could, they could play a, a more rotated side, and then if they, if they did mess up, then at least they could take it more seriously second leg. Having the away leg second, where unless they put them to the sword four or five nil, and they may do that in St. Petersburg, um, so I guess that's what they're going to have to do. They're going to have to take the first leg more seriously than uh, you know, more energetically even than they would perhaps like to. But if they can put four or five past, um, it, and again, I'm only saying if this is the Bnei Ehuda, um, then yeah, it might be enough for them. But it's, like you say, it's an away trip. It's packed in tightly between um, two league fixtures. And of course, that comes the away leg right before the game against Spartak Moscow, which is a huge game in itself. So um, perhaps, Tim, you'll be hoping that uh, Zanit will be drawn against Bnei Yehuda so your boys can, <laughs> can play them after a long trip back from Israel. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Looking at the calendar as well. And uh, yeah, I'm hoping that they would have to fly a very long uh, flight and that the away leg will be extremely tough for them and they hopefully play 120 minutes. Yeah, that's what we'll see. I, I think the Senate will probably hope 
that it will be not Ney Yehudo and it will be Trenzin <laughs> instead. Nice, uh, nice, easy away trip to Slovakia, easy climate. I think that's what they are hoping for. Now, in the meantime, Krasnodar, they also in that same situation. They don't know if it's going to be Link B who are leading their tie against Slovan Bratislava or Slovan Bratislava. Um, I guess, you know, that, that is, won't make a huge difference for them if it's Slovan Bratislava or Linkby. Um, in the end of the day, that they will have to defeat either or, right? That's, that's, like, that must be a must win game for them when you, when you look at the, the, the fixture, right, Andrew? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I'd say there's more pressure on Krasadar, um, in the, uh, out of these two teams. Um, Zanit have a bigger squad, and I'd argue that, um, Lingby and Slovan Bratislava. I don't know the. I don't know all four potential opponents of the Russian teams in depth, but I've heard of them more. Um, and the fact is that you know Krasnodar still without Fyodor Smolov. Yes, they managed well without him in Kazan. Uh, Ricardo Laborde was was excellent, um, and perhaps they won't miss him too much, but they will be without him. So it puts it's one less player they can count upon, um, and. The disappointment, and I would argue privately, the anger and frustration of Sergei Galitsky of them missing out on Champions League, I don't think they can afford three years in a row to do that. So I think a European campaign this year is is absolutely essential. Otherwise, they will miss out on, okay, admittedly much smaller prize money, but prize money nonetheless. Mm. Um, and, you know, who knows? Um, Smolov hasn't left yet. It seems likely he will, as it has done for a long time. But, you know, it, strange things have happened. Perhaps he'll stay. And if they do get into the group stages, get drawn against some good sides, get out of the group stages and suddenly, you know, you never know. They get close to Champions League with the extra place on offer this season. Who knows? It may even bizarrely persuade Smolov to stay. I don't think it will, but mm. at the very least, they'll be able to attract other good players. It's the same old thing. So it matters to Galitsky, I think. Um, you know, they've built a solid club, but there's only so much you can be happy with having done things the right way if you don't get results uh, at some point. So, yeah, I think they both should be favourites to go through. I think on balance they will, but it's a distraction they could probably do without at this early stage. Yeah, absolutely. We'll absolutely preview those two games. And we also have the Bundesliga Freiburg, of course, uh, in that same round. So we'll preview that as well. You can find that all on uh, footballgrad.com. Now, Tim, before we wrap this up, one final thought from you. And I can't ask Andrew. He's biased. Is Smolov going to stay at Krasnodar? Yes or no? <laughs> uh, yes. I think he will stay. Okay, well then. That's my man, Tim. That's my man. <laughs> well, um, see, like, it's... Uh, do we have time for that? If, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So, so, like, it's such a complicated situation that Spartak wanted to go for him, and uh, <sighs> that's a very tough story. But uh, pretty much for two two options for two, like, if he if, if Smolov were to go, there's no talk now about European clubs. From what I understand, there's no, no official offer from Europe, from what I know. Uh, there's two talks about Zenit and Spartak and Zenit has some troubles like some instability with Dubas I'm not sure like there's there again there are some rumors that he's not um, gonna be used as much he's not gonna be one of the key players in the squad so if he if Zuba leaves then I think then it's obvious for you know for Zenit to go for Smolov 
but again, there's so many variables. It's, I, I, it's just like, it's, I think it's hard to make a prediction, say yes or no, because we just have no idea what's really going on, who actually offered money for how much. And it's, it's really like it. Yeah. Uh, I'm lost. I'm sorry. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll see that. Maybe <laughs> that's, a, that's a topic for next week. I want to wrap it up here. Andrew, what do you have to plug this week? What's going on? Well, yeah, this week I'll be doing I'll be doing the Russian teams uh, the previews on Football Grad, so I'm looking forward to to previewing them. And I will be going to FC Tumen on Saturday. So anybody who wants to see uh, some live coverage of some lower league Russian football, follow <laughs> follow me on Instagram, on Twitter, and I'll uh, keep you updated with the greatest team um, in this city. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Andrew, your man Mantov started as an assist. Well, I wasn't going to mention it because I knew you guys would have a go at me for being too biased in, but I've got to mention it. Come on, the guy's made his Premier League debut at the age of 33. He is a living legend. I don't care what anybody says. However biased you think I am, he is a magical player. And he proves it. He comes off the bench within a few minutes. He set up a goal against one of the best sides in the country. So, Premier League, watch out. Mantov is coming. <laughs> Well done, Tim, for bringing that up. Yeah, you, you're going to be very busy this weekend, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm doing the Rocket from Russia Festival. I've been talking about it for some time here on the pod. There's 12 great local bands will be playing, mm-hmm. including my band. And, um, yeah, it's just the organization is really in the final stages after they finish the pod. I pretty much took this week off work and I'm just focusing on the festival. So, and I'm still running out of time to do huh. so. Yeah, I'll be uh, a little bit busy, but hopefully I'll recover uh, by the next pod and I will be energized and uh, happy as ever. Well, you're going to be on the CBC soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a, that's a pretty big radio station in Canada and I'm doing a morning show on Friday, the day of uh, the festival. So it's great. And it will be, you know, hopefully that um, help with uh, some ticket sales and um, yeah, and the, the festival will be a great, great success. Oh, it definitely will be. Well, I myself, I will likely be in Vancouver on Sunday for the uh, Vancouver-Portland game. We'll, we'll have that covered over on uh, footballcidage.com, so look out for that. Now, and of course, Andrew mentioned it, all the previews for the Russian teams in the Champions League, the Europa League. Same with the Ukrainian teams, so that would be Olympic Donetsk and Dynamo Kiev. You can find that all on footballgrad.com. We have it covered for Freiburg's Europa League uh, uh, match as well on fußballstadt.com. Uh, Liga MX is kicking off this weekend. Uh, thanks to heavens. So that's all on footballzidage.com. And you, all of that content can be found at Football Grad Live. So you can find that, the pods, everything there. And then of course you can follow me at Manuel Ref. Well, until next week, dos vidanje. wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? 
celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. We can get anything delivered from furniture to toilet paper. And now, adult beverages with Drizzly. Drizzly lets you compare prices from local liquor stores on a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your door in under 60 minutes. And right now, Drizzly's giving all new customers $5 off their first order. Just enter promo code EASY5 at checkout. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.